0: This is Justice Radio, I'm Daria Cullen, I'm production coordinator, and I'm excited to be with this radio collective today. Uh, This show, we're gonna hear from our show hosts about who they are and why they are hosting Justice Radio. I'm gonna actually start with Leo Hilton from Our Prisons, The Answer. And Leo, I would love to just know When this opportunity for Justice Radio came about, what were you really hoping listeners would get out of it?
1: That is a great question. Um, So I've been incarcerated now for almost 15 years. Came in five weeks after my 18th birthday and I'm coming up on my 33rd. And throughout that time, I've done a lot of learning and a lot of growing and a lot of healing and this is after a judge gave me a 50-year sentence saying that on that day when I was 19 I got my sentence um and that on that day she felt like she was protecting society and that there was no way that I would be fit to re-enter until I was a 60-year-old man if not 70. Um And so what I want people to walk away with is that, yes, there are a few people who have been able to heal and grow and learn and possibly get some type of support in coming home, but that prisons are not the answer. (laughs) In short, prisons are not the answer. Um, I've been able to engage in this work because of people inside the system and outside the system in spite of the system, right? So there have been incarcerated people, right? I go back to my mentor, E and my other mentor, Candice, who just really helped me learn how to love and how to forgive myself, forgive others, and seek forgiveness from people. Um, So to be able to do that, And then for staff members and administrators to see in me potential and be willing to acknowledge my growth, acknowledge my healing and acknowledge my worth and what I have to offer the world that to step outside of the prison culture and see me as a full human being and say, hey, you can do something with your life. Um, I want people to know that that is possible and that that needs to be made possible. and that the system is not the avenue for it. Yeah, so (laughs) that for me is uh, one of the big things and I have the blessing to be able to do it with my dear co-instructor and abolitionist partner, Catherine Besteman. You as an anthropologist and abolitionist educator at Colby, you kind of uh, saw me and took a chance on me in a way that I was not really prepared for. And we've been growing together over the past year and a half. And it was you who kind of brought this to me. So why? Um, Why was this a good idea? (laughs) Why was any of this a good idea? And what keeps you in it?
2: Thanks, Leo. Um, That is a great question, too. Uh, Why was doing justice radio a good idea? I think you and I work together across a couple of different platforms, right? So we teach a class at Colby. Um, We often speak to community groups and academic groups across the country. We co-author articles together, both in academic journals and in news magazines and news outlets. Uh, And radio felt like another another media outlet to um to address the things that you and i both care so passionately about which is which are questions about how do we keep the public safe what are we doing with with hyperincarceration in this country um what do we need to be doing differently and uh identifying really what 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 is the problem the pathological toxic problem with punitive carcerality in the united states and how can we possibly rip ourselves out of this Um, orientation that we've gotten ourselves into over the past couple of hundred years and pivot towards a different way of imagining public safety, a different way of imagining community, a different way of holding people accountable for harms they've caused, a different way of interrupting harms before they happen. And I'm a big fan of public radio. I listened to the radio, grew up on the radio. Radio was always playing in my house growing up. So I have a soft spot for the radio. And, uh, you know, we live in a mobility culture. People are in their cars driving around all the time. Radio is what you listen to. Uh, so I guess for me, when when the opportunity came up, it seemed like a thrilling, d- thrillingly different audience, perhaps, than the ones that we were reaching through other news outlets and certainly through academia. So that is why I wanted to do this. And the reason I wanted to do it with you is because, you know, I want to do all this stuff with you, Leo. <laughs> so we're a good partnership. Uh, and I'm gonna to pivot to Marion, uh, who is the host of Voices of the Directly Impacted. And Marion, what I'd like to hear from you is what difference in your life has doing justice radio meant? How has it impacted you personally? Oh,
3: Catherine, that's a that's a loaded question. Um, it's really been an honor uh, for me in doing the show um, as a person who is formally incarcerated, my experience often is that um, I don't get a seat at the table, right? Like my voice doesn't matter. Um, people labeled me long ago and and, you know, lots have written me off. and and uh, Leo mentioned earlier, you know, having folks sort of seeing the value in in him as a whole human being. Um, and for me, uh, Justice Radio provides that outlet, not not just for me personally, but for the folks that I bring on the show. We often lose our voices, right? We're we're silenced by the system. We're we're isolated and tucked away and forgotten about, and um, nobody really cares what we have to say or or what we have to contribute uh, to to important conversations. And so for me. Um, you know, it's, it's really been an honor uh, to, to come out of the show and, and to talk to folks about things that, that matter, things that are important, um, things that I think the general public needs to, to hear more of. Um, but also, I, I would like to say that when I, when I agreed to do this show, I didn't realize then that I would be so impacted by the folks that I'm doing this show with. And this collective, uh, I- every one of you here who's, who's hosting the show, just, y- you know, uh, you're, you're my heroes. Like, you're the people that I, that I turn to, that I look up to, that I admire, that I respect, uh, that I wanna be like when I grow up, if that ever happens. Um, but, you know, the impact, it's, it's beyond what I could have imagined it would be when I agreed to do the show. Um, and I just appreciate each and every one of you and this opportunity. And I'm, I'm really grateful, um, that you, Catherine thought of me, uh, for this show, you and you and mean It's, it's beautiful. And this collective is beautiful. And I'm really grateful to be here. And, and with that, I'm going to kick it over to Linda Lou, uh, Linda small, um, <laughs> who, who uh, does the show with, with Mackenzie Kelly, who unfortunately can't be with us today. Uh, but before we kick it over to Linda, we're going to take a, a quick break and we'll return in a moment.
4: Hey everyone, this is Zoe Brokus from Ending the Drug War in Maine, which is a segment of Justice Radio that I do with Charlotte Warren. going to talk a little bit about overdose prevention centers. Overdose prevention centers provide a safe indoor space for people to use drugs with supervision from peer or medical staff. The most compelling data point about overdose prevention centers is that of the 120 plus centers around the world, there has never been a fatal overdose ever. And here in Maine, We've heard overdose prevention centers called by a couple of different names. Overdose prevention centers is sort of the uh, current generic term for them. Here in Maine, we're also calling them harm reduction health centers. They're also known as safe consumption sites or safe injection facilities. We have two bills this session in Maine that would... Uh, support the introduction of programs like these. The first is LD 1159, which would authorize a pilot program to open harm reduction health centers with municipal approval and would offer comprehensive services, uh, access to resources and wound care, um, and have medical staff on site as well as peer support and of course, harm reduction specialists as well. The other bill, 1364, would authorize for a similar type of program, um, but the language of this bill is a little bit more intentionally vague, um, provides medical oversight and requires municipal uh, approval um, but isn't a pilot, so it would authorize the creation of a program. For more information about overdose prevention centers, check out Drug Policy Alliance. And if you're interested in learning more about these bills, go to the main legislature website. You can search by LD number, LD 1159, LD 1364, or reach out to Justice Radio to get connected to Charlotte and I. Thanks so much.
3: All right, Linda. So falling in line with the previous questions, uh, I'm going to ask one similar to Catherine's of me. Um, what has been the impact on your life? Uh, I know you're pretty recently released uh, from prison and uh, were met with this opportunity. And I'm, I'm curious about the impact that this justice radio show has had on you personally.
5: Mm-hmm. Thank you, Marion. I will echo what you said earlier about Justice Radio being part of our extended family. And for folks who um, release from prison, community is everything. And um, those connections um, make the difference of whether you're gonna be successful or not. And it's not just about having the job or housing, although those are critical. It's about having a group of people who are willing and ready to listen to you when you need a shoulder to cry on, lift you up, um, when you do something that is important to you and important to your community that goes largely ignored because of the stigma of justice impacted folks. And our show is near and dear to my heart. We're talking, Mackenzie and I talk about reentry because reentry. entry uh, for some is a lifelong process. And the reason for that is because even when people come out and they are given a second chance, which doesn't happen very often, to continue to pursue education, to have a living wage job, to have a safe and affordable housing, those three things, if you're very lucky, and you're justice impacted, you will achieve those three things. But even if you do, that's just that's just a one time event. So if you imagine all the milestones throughout your life, every time that you want to get a promotion or get a new job, or maybe you want to move from renting or buying a house, or purchase a car, or any of those things that you would normally think about evolving throughout your life. Those milestones come with the anchor of being justice impacted. And so every single time that you apply to do something greater in your life, that comes back to haunt you. And you have to relive that experience, explain it over again, act like you you haven't taken full accountability when in fact that you have. And it just it continues to set people back throughout their lives. So our program is about allowing people to tell their stories, to inform the community about who we are and the skills we have and um, what we can bring to enrich our communities. We're smart and brilliant and caring and loving people. And we, we want to be accepted. And uh, with 600,000 people released from prison every single year, what kind of people do you want? In your communities, because whether you acknowledge it or not, people are are in your neighborhoods, they're shopping in the same stores, they're near your schools, they're in your churches, they are a part of your community and you cannot separate these people. So why not embrace them. And that begins the day that you walk into prison and should continue throughout the process through the rest of your life, post release and beyond. So, um. For me, this has been a great opportunity um, to not only convey my story, but as you said, Marion, to give voice to those who are silenced, who are doing beautiful work in the community um, through their transition, but go go largely unrecognized. And it's, it's my honor and privilege to lift those people up. And so that's why I'm here on Justice Radio. Thank you for a great question. So now I'm going to talk to the co-host of Ending the War on Drugs in Maine with Charlotte. And Charlotte, you've served um, the public in the House of Representatives. So how is Justice Radio a platform as an extension of your public service work?
6: Linda, thank you for the question. I think that Why I think this is an extension of my work um, serving the public is that if I think that if more people knew what was actually happening to folks who are struggling from either substance use disorder or a mental health concern um, as far as leading to incarceration, they would want to get involved. And that is why I see this as an extension. Um, That it's another way to let people know that we need their voices. We need them to get involved. We need them to work with us to demand our government actually fund mental health services and substance use disorder services instead of continuing to fund cages. And we just need to educate our friends and neighbors of what is happening because this isn't us. This isn't Maine. In Maine we take care of our friends. In Maine when our friends and neighbors are struggling, I think of the ice storm, you know, I think of the storm we're going to have on Saturday, right? What are we all going to do? We're all going to be reaching out to folks and just making sure everyone's cool, right? We're thinking about people right now that, you know, that need to be, you know, protected in in tough weather. Well, that's who we are. And so I do this work and I saw um, Justice Radio as an opportunity to continue this work of letting Mainers know that what's happening in our pathway to incarceration in Maine isn't, doesn't have to be, but we all need to figure out a way to get involved. And I try in my work with Zoe to um, give people that pathway and to, you know, let people know that there's another way. And I think what's also important is why, you know, why did I get involved in this work in the beginning, right? I'm a social worker. I've been a social worker only two decades by training, but my entire life by spirit. And that means I care about other people. I care about our community. I care about my state. I care about things bigger than me in my little existence, right? What makes me happy is to create change. And so that's why I'm involved in the work of fixing a wrong that our state has and that our nation has, that we're leaving a whole bunch of our brothers and sisters. We're throwing them out of our communities and we're leaving them behind. And that's just not who we are. So thank you for the question. Um now I get to ask Zoe a question. So Zoe Brocus is um is my pal uh on Justice Radio and she is my um my co-host of Ending the Drug War in Maine. And for those of you who don't know Zoe does all of the things. So Zoe is doing the policy work at the state legislature. She's doing the policy work in municipalities, but she's also on the front lines. She's on the front lines, making sure people have coats and food and heat. And like she's doing the work and, you know, dealing with all of the paperwork, etc., that it takes to run a small nonprofit. And that's a lot and, I wanna know from Zoe, why do you do this work? What fuels you? And how are we so lucky on Justice Radio to have you as as a co-host? Thanks,
4: Charlotte. That's a big question. I had like all kinds of other answers written down. Um, You know, I've been doing this work for a long time and um, I really, really enjoy working with people, um, who don't often have the opportunity, um, to have their voices heard. Uh, you know, I primarily work with people who use drugs and, um, see the harm and the, um, you know, violence and destruction that comes, um, with that and not from drug use, uh, but from the way we have criminalized drug use and the impact that it has on the individuals and families um, and really just how we have allowed this cycle of violence to continue over time. And so I have always been compelled to figure out what I can do with that. Um, And it's changed over the years. And I'm fortunate that I've been able to have incredible mentors like you and so many other amazing women who have helped me uh, kind of figure out what that looks like now. Um, And and that's what I really love about Justice Radio. And I've been thinking a lot about the power of storytelling recently. And I think that um, it is beyond time, but now is a great time, uh, to start using our voices to tell these stories, um, and to humanize the policy and the advocacy behind all of this, because I think what we've learned is it's, um, easier, uh, to kind of throw research and numbers at people and hope that that makes a change. And it's so important. And, we also need those stories um, from Mainers all over the state about how they uh, have been impacted by criminalization of, of drug use and, and so many other things. So Daria, now I'm going to turn to you and ask, I guess, a similar question. But, uh, you know, Marion mentioned it, that, um, you know, y- you reached out about Justice Radio. And I guess I'd love to know, like, what brought you here? How did you get to this point? And, um, and what compels you to be involved in in this wonderful little group we have here?
0: It is a wonderful group. It's, it's quite the collective, and I feel very uh, grateful to be a part of it. And even if it's on, you know, the back end, um, it just is something that I felt was when it came about through the Maine Prisoner Advocacy Coalition and and the connection that I was working with them there, and this came about as an opportunity, I just remember thinking how great this would be to be able to educate the public. Um, Being one of those public people who didn't know we didn't have parole in Maine, never thought about it, never even occurred to me that that wasn't even here since 1976. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, um, and then just so many other things, so many other challenges that I see that go on in our carceral system here. And I just really felt like this was an important platform and I'm, I'm really happy to be a part of it. And um, just grateful for all of you and for all the work that you do outside of this radio show. Um, It's tremendous and the guests that you're able to bring on and I just feel like it's a wealth of uh, information for people like me, uh, who may just not know but but do care. So thank you for the question. Um, this has been another great uh, episode. And I guess we can wrap it up now. Um, just a big thank you to all of you, all of the hosts. Thank you to the listeners for uh, tuning in to Justice Radio again. And uh, also remember to tune in next week uh, for Leo and Catherine, our Prisons the Answer And I also want to give a big thank you to Samuel James uh, for his gift of music that opens and closes uh, each episode in our series. Thank you.
1: So we decided to end this show by taking a look at some pieces of legislation that our listeners should probably be aware of during this session.
2: So one of the pieces of legislation coming up this session is LD 178, an act to support reentry and reintegration into the community known as the parole bill this act would bring back parole and it would establish an expert parole board who would determine eligibility for people who come before the parole board. Uh, Eligibility will depend on assessments of rehabilitation, of public safety, and of a supported pathway to reintegration. So Leo, You were part of a debate team at Maine State Prison that just took on the national triple crown champions, Wake Forest University, debating uh, a statement relative to LD 178, which is whether or not the United States should eradicate life without parole. Tell us about that.
1: Just wow. Uh, (laughs) First off, big love to Wake Forest University and Daniel Shroup and the National Prison Debate League and Main State Prison admin staff and Maine Department of Corrections admin staff. It was just the power that I felt, how powerful it was to be able to be on a team of six men who collectively have over two or 300 years of time to serve in prison and be able to speak passionately and explore all of the angles around this subject of should the U.S. abolish life without parole? I mean, the Triple Crown champions couldn't even defend life without parole. So to be able to do this and engage on this level um, with such care and rigor was amazing. And at the same time brought up for me, what voices are not at the table? What valuable voices might not be heard in this public discussion that needs to be had? Catherine. What might some of those voices be?
2: Well, I think um, as we heard from Charlotte Warren in the last episode that you and I hosted of Our Prisons, The Answer on Justice Radio. Uh, Charlotte talked to us about how one of the most surprising things for her when she co-chaired the commission to uh, investigate reestablishing parole in Maine was that crime victims are not a monolith. They don't all want the same thing. And that the voices of people who have survived harms and most particularly violent harms and who are in favor of parole are getting sidelined or marginalized or silenced. In our conversations about whether or not we should bring back parole in Maine. Um, She told us that she's had so many crime victims and survivors come to her and say, I am asking you to reinstate parole and here's why. Parole will enhance public safety, parole will allow us to meet the needs of our communities, parole will prevent further harm from happening, and parole will um, help us do the work that we need to do Um, in terms of intervening in outside communities to create those supported pathways to reentry that are so successful in the wake of harm.